This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by someone who's had one of the most brilliant careers in healthcare, Dr. Patty Gabo. Dr. Dr. Gabo is going to talk to us about her, her career, about what she's most excited about today. Uh, she also has currently a voice issue. She's going to talk to us about that before she gets started, just so people are aware of it. But just a phenomenal leadership career. She'll give us some advice on what trend she's watching and about leadership and ideas, advice for emerging leaders. Patty, Dr. Gabau, can you take a moment and and introduce yourself? Uh, Yes, I'd love to. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for letting me uh, speak today. I hope we can really focus on my new book um, that has come out. But uh, before I begin answering your myriad questions, let me explain my voice. I have a condition called spastic dysphonia, which is a long way of saying that I have a twitch in my vocal cords. The treatment for it is Botox, does nothing for my wrinkles, but uh, I hope I have beautiful vocal cords. And when I have recently gotten the treatment, I'm very breathy like now. So I apologize for my voice. Um, My career um, has been a long one, I must say. Um, I've been in this healthcare business for 50 years and uh, I uh, began my formal career at Denver Health um, and spent my whole career there, starting out as a entry-level doctor in nephrology, and then becoming chief of medicine, then CMO. Then for the last 20 years, I was the CEO, and uh, I retired in uh, 2012, but continue to be actively involved in healthcare and a variety of ways. And uh, I loved my career at Denver Health because I think it represented what healthcare really should be, an institution that values its workforce, that cares for everyone who walks through the door, that's committed to high quality. Um, And it was a wonderful, wonderful career. And and take a moment, Dr. Gabo, about your book. Tell us about the book you've authored, the title, what drove you to author it, and what else you could share with us. Well, thanks for asking. Um, The title is called The Catholic Church and Its Hospitals, A Marriage Made in Heaven, question mark. And so why did I write it? Well, first of all, I love to write. I find that as an important route to influence healthcare. And I've always told my uh, mentees that as professionals, we have an obligation to really share what we've learned so that everybody doesn't have to reinvent the wheel for themselves. 
why did I pick Catholic healthcare for this book? There were several reasons. First of all, I'm a practicing Catholic. I was raised in an Italian Catholic family. I went to a Catholic girls' school run by the Sisters of Charity, who were founded by Mother Seton, who I profile in one of the chapters of the book entitled Exemplary Mothers. And I really believe that there's a strong biblical and theological link between Catholicism and providing health care to particularly the poor and the most vulnerable. The second reason I wrote it is because, as we've already noted, I'm a physician and I've been committed uh, to care for the vulnerable and the poor for my whole career. The third reason was I've been involved in health policy for decades. And as I started to research this topic, I realized that there were things that truly inspired me and things that truly concerned me. As I spoke to my friends and colleagues about what I was learning and about Catholic healthcare broadly, I found out that there was very little awareness about Catholic healthcare uh, in this country, even among people who had their finger on the healthcare pulse. So I figuratively picked up my pen and started writing. And uh, I was grateful that the American Association for Physician Leadership um, was interested in the book, uh, saw that it was an important physician leadership issue, and agreed to publish it. And here we are. And, 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 and take a moment on some of the lessons that could come out of the book. Is there an overall hypothesis or prognosis, you know, overall observation, good, bad, huge positive impact, not so much? Any overriding thoughts you have about the combination of the not-for-profit, the Catholic healthcare, and 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 sort of the 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 marriage made in heaven question mark between the Catholic health and, and healthcare. Well, let me address that by talking about the surprising things I found, and then maybe we could go to the suggestions that I have about that, um, but. There were so many surprising things that we really don't have time to cover them in, in, the, in this podcast, but let me talk about four in some detail. First, Catholic hospitals have been around since the fourth century. So I was surprised that the kind of book I wanted to write didn't really seem to exist. I really didn't find anything that traced Catholic healthcare from its biblical roots to the nuns who built the Catholic healthcare system in America, to the rules that govern Catholic healthcare, to the establishment of these huge Catholic healthcare corporations, to recommendations for change. And I really thought describing this journey was important because 
the need for change really emanates from understanding the beginnings. Um, the second surprising thing that I learned was how extensive Catholic healthcare is in America. I live in Colorado and there are a lot of Catholic hospitals here, but I was surprised that four out of 10 of the largest healthcare corporations in the United States are Catholic, that 46 states have Catholic hospitals, and that in 20 states, more than 20% of the beds are in Catholic hospitals. In Colorado, it's 36% of the beds and 40% of the deliveries occur in Catholic hospitals, which has very important implications uh, for reproductive care and for Medicaid patients. And Common Spirit, which is the largest Catholic healthcare system, says that one in four Americans have access to their system. This is really surprising, um, the vastness of this, and the vastness makes it matter a lot. The other surprising thing that is really important to understand is that patients have no idea about what this means for their care. They don't know about ERDs, the ethical and religious directives for healthcare services. They don't know that the bishops wrote 77 rules that dictate their healthcare, whether they're Catholic are not Catholic. They don't know that the doctors have to obey those ERDs, even when it might be in disagreement with what they want as patients, or even in some instances, what's the standard of, me of medical care. And let me just give you some examples of how deep and broad that lack of awareness is. In a survey, 70% of Americans didn't think it made any difference whether they got their care at a Catholic hospital or a non-Catholic hospital. 60% of women who were surveyed thought they could get birth control pills or tubal ligation at a Catholic hospital. 40% thought they could get an abortion for a life-threatening pregnancy. 40% thought they could get IVF. 27% thought they could get an abortion for a fetal implication, including 30% of practicing Catholic women. This, this is really astounding. And part of the reason why there's this lack of awareness is because there's very little transparency on the part of Catholic hospitals about their ownership. If you go to their website, it's not easy to find. And 75% of them on their website don't say they follow the ethical and religious directives. And that those that don't say that, only 4% cite that they have any restrictions based on religious beliefs. When a leader of the Catholic Health Association was asked about this lack of transparency. He said, well, 
No hospital leads with what they don't do. And of course that's true. No hospital starts with a list that we don't have PET, get, PET scans. We don't do high-end neurosurgery, but there's a very important difference between what secular hospitals don't list. No patient expects that every hospital has a PET scan, but patients expect that a hospital that has maternity care can do a double ligation or can give you birth control pills. So there, there's a really significant difference about transparency in that regard. So to sort of sum all this up, I think what I see is there are five things that intersect that are really, I think, an issue. First of all, we have the extensive reach. Then we have the fact about the rules that govern Catholic healthcare and that the doctors have to follow these rules, that there's no transparency and the patients are unaware. I don't, I think we need to step back as a society and say, is this really acceptable in a pluralistic society? Is this okay for a big swath of healthcare that Americans get? I mean, the good news is that Catholic healthcare gives a lot of healthcare. So that's the good part of the story. But this other part of the story, uh, I think, deserves attention. What a fascinating subject. I mean, the four large health systems are, at the end of the day, I hear you on the ethical and religious directives of the transparency, but also are tremendous contributors to American healthcare. And without them, you talk about common spirit, providence, ascension, trinity. Without those four, we would really be in trouble as a nation in terms of health care. So it is, it is a fascinating discussion because they make such huge contributions. And at the same time, your points on what they do and don't do based on the bishops and the, and the ethical and religious directives is, is, a, is a fair point and, and well stated. Again, Dr. Gabau. Gabo, tell us the name of the book again. What a fascinating set of issues, the, the Catholic Church and healthcare, a marriage made in heaven, question mark. But I mean, so many positives and negatives, and, and anybody can make their own judgment whether the huge impact they have on healthcare outweighs the fact that they don't do certain things that they view as against the ethical and religious directives. Obviously, we, we happen to be, many of the leaders of these health systems I find to be tremendously compassionate and empathetic leaders, often taking care of a lot of safety net organizations, safety net areas, like Denver Health did, quite frankly. And so I am probably more empathetic to it than maybe I should be to the plight of the Catholic health systems. And, and I, I, am, I, am not a, I was not raised as a Catholic, but I do have great empathy for the compassion and the empathy they provide. I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at what they all do. Uh, in poor and wealthy communities. Dr. Cabau, again, the, the name of the book, so everybody can get a copy of this. Yes, uh, the book is called The Catholic Church and Its Hospitals, A Marriage Made in Heaven, question mark. Um, Scott, though, to your point, um, they do do a lot of good. Um, however, there are these issues. And my book, I never believed 
that you should just point out issues without offering solutions um, because that really isn't helpful in getting us to a better place. So the book actually ends with a chapter that has 30 suggestions. And I, trust me, I'm not going to list all 30 of them. But to your point, how do we preserve what is good and try to address some of the concerns that I raised? I'm not saying, you know, we should do away with Catholic healthcare. Um, I'm saying we need to get back more to the beginnings of what it was when the nuns originally built these hospitals um, around the United States. So is it okay if I give you some of these suggestions? Let's do this. Let's leave people with how they get a copy of the book so they can read up on the suggestions. Just because we try and keep all of our podcasts 10 to 12 minutes, that seems to be our sweet spot for our listeners. So let's do this, Dr. Gabo. Tell people again where they could find the book. It's brilliant, and, and you're a brilliant leader, so we appreciate your time with us so much. Tell us where people could find the book. Uh, they can find the book at the American Association for Physician Leadership website or on uh, Amazon. Dr. Gabo, what a brilliant career. What a brilliant thesis and book. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We'd love to have you back to talk about this more. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.